The following is a reflection on the readings for Wednesday of the eighth week of Ordinary Time. The first reading is taken from Sirach, chapter 36, verses 1 to 2, 5 to 6, 13 to 22. The responsorial is Psalm 79, and the Gospel is Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Today's Gospel continues the discussion of discipleship, began in yesterday's selection from Mark, chapter 10, verses 28 to 31, where Jesus, after outlining to the rich young man the conditions for following him, explains to the disciples who have left everything what great rewards are in store, both now and in eternal life. Notice again the context. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem for the last time where the Passion and Cross are imminent. On two previous occasions in Mark chapter 8 and 9, Jesus announced both his coming Passion and Resurrection as a way of preparing his disciples for the suffering that awaited them. In the first account, Peter is so shocked that he takes Jesus aside to rebuke such a notion whereupon Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God but of men. In the second statement, Jesus uses the word delivered or handed over in the sense of betrayal, but the disciples still fail to understand. The third and final prediction in today's gospel is the most detailed. Jesus says, quote, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him, and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise again. End of quote. Jesus again uses the term handed over, but now relates it to his own people, the Jewish leaders, who betrayed the Son of Man to the Gentile authorities. This will be followed by an even more intimate handing over by one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas Iscariot. The use of the term we, as in, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, should be cluing in the apostles that they will not be excluded nor exonerated from tribulation. But, alas, their lack of understanding continues, as illustrated by James and John's highly inappropriate question about being elevated at the right and left hand of Jesus in glory. To negotiate for position ahead of the other apostles at such a moment reveals not only a lack of understanding of Jesus' words, but a fundamental self-interest at the heart of fallen humanity. But Jesus uses the request as an opportunity to further teach about discipleship. Quote, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They responded, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. End of quote. To drink from the cup in the Old Testament most often refers to God's judgment and wrath against sinners, and in this sense Jesus is asking if James and John are willing to participate in his suffering. There is, however, 
a secondary reference to the Eucharistic cup that will be the effective means of our participation in the atoning death of Jesus. Baptism symbolizes a solidarity with broken humanity. Are James and John prepared to join Jesus in his immersion into suffering and death? Their quick affirmative response highlights the degree of misunderstanding. In fact, Jesus is headed to Golgotha where he will be glorified, that is, lifted up on the cross, but the only ones at his right and left are the two thieves who share his crucifixion. Ultimately, the two disciples will suffer for Christ, as James is executed by Herod Agrippa in 44 AD, and John is exiled to the island of Patmos, but at this point much more formation is needed. When the other ten apostles hear this request, they become indignant, likely because they were thinking the same, and were incensed that others should precede them. Jesus then gives the key instruction on discipleship. Quote, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. End of quote. The great reversal that is part and parcel of God's kingdom means that humility and service to the point of self-sacrifice constitutes being a disciple of Christ. Peter, who was one of the ten who were angry with James and John, after Pentecost expands on following Christ in relation to leadership. Quote, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherds appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. End of quote. How great the reversal is highlighted in the concluding verse of today's gospel. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The term Son of Man is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where great authority is conferred on him by the Ancient of Days, including an everlasting kingdom. Yet Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, goes to the cross out of love, offering redemption to the very persons who put him there. How this applies to us today is perhaps hidden in two phrases used to describe the apostles. They were amazed, they were afraid. To heed Jesus' teaching and become a disciple is indeed a fearful thing, because it means we deny ourselves, die to our pride, and by serving others become vulnerable. This is not easy because it goes against our fallen nature, yet the amazement factor is also present. The Holy Spirit is with us every step of the way, empowering our meager efforts 
and lifting us up in ways we could never achieve otherwise, not only now, but in eternal life. Thus, for example, as 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 states, our loving service of neighbor covers over a multitude of our sins. In fear, we enter the unknown of discipleship, and in doing so are amazed at God's mercy. We fear our own weakness and concupiscence, but are amazed at God's saving grace. We fear persecution and even ridicule from a status-driven, me-oriented culture, but feel at the same time an amazing closeness with Christ crucified. We fear the dark night of the soul and our propensity to despair, especially during this time of COVID. Yet, as we serve others, are amazed at the light that breaks forth like the dawn and our night that becomes like the noonday. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Philip Neri, who reminds us that discipleship can be entered into with great joy. He was born in Florence in 1515, and after experiencing a conversion at the age of 18, spent many years as a layperson carrying out the mission of evangelization. One of his great attributes that drew many to Christ was cheerfulness and a playful sense of humor. With his warm personality, he spent much time in Rome, conversing with everyday people, leading study and prayer groups. His often repeated opening line was, Well, brothers, when shall we begin to do good? He was engaging, attentive, humble, and good-natured. Eventually, his spiritual director convinced our saint to become a priest. He founded a confraternity of laymen to minister to the poor and spent much time in the confessional. In the year 1575, he founded a community of secular priests, also known as the Congregation of the Oratory. Famous quotes by our saint include, A joyful heart is more easily made perfect than a downcast one. To preserve our cheerfulness amid sickness and troubles is a sign of a right and good spirit. I conclude with this final quote. We are not saints yet, but we too should beware. Uprightness and virtue do have their rewards in self-respect and in respect from others, and it is easy to find ourselves aiming for the result rather than the cause. Let us aim for joy rather than respectability. Let us make fools of ourselves from time to time, and thus see ourselves for a moment as the all-wise God sees us. St. Philip Neri, pray for us that we may become faithful disciples of Christ. Let us pray. O God, who never cease to bestow the glory of holiness on the faithful servants you raise up for yourself, graciously grant that the Holy Spirit may kindle in us that fire with which he wonderfully filled the heart of St. Philip Neri. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God for ever and ever. Amen.